Tonight's episode of The Rewatchables is brought to you by Spotify, which has the best listening experience around. You can change speeds to as fine as 1.2, which is my favorite. You can go discover new podcasts with their charts, which cover biggest podcasts, trending podcasts, podcasts separated by genre, whatever you want. Spotify has everything. We're also brought to you by FanDuel, where if you like playing fantasy basketball during the playoffs, check out the Ultimate Hoops Ringer Contest. There is a FanDuel contest every day. There are playoff games, $5 entry fee per contest. And if you win your day, you get a ticket to the leaderboard series during the NBA finals where all the winners will compete for a share of 50K cash ringer swag and to be deemed the sole survivor of the ultimate hoops ringer. There's still time to enter contests. We have a lot of playoff basketball ahead before the finals. Some of the first round is left, second round, third round. Every day you have a chance to get into the leaderboard series during the finals. What are you waiting for? Join the Ultimate Hoops Ringer contest. Learn more, enter at fanduel.com slash hoops ringer. Age and location restrictions apply. Coming up, if I have to hear Yamo be there one more time, I'm going to Yamo burn this place to the ground. 40-year-old virgin is next. Andy Stitzer has a secret. <laughs> You're a virgin! And now that it's out... We can help you out. He has no idea what he's in for. You gotta highlight your attributes. You just wax that whole Teen Wolf thing off. No! You look like a man-o'-lantern. This summer, if there's a first time for everything... I'm Trish. Candy. There's a first time for everyone. <laughs> Do you have protection? I don't like guns. <gasps> the 40-year-old virgin, rated R, starts August 19th. All right, Chris Ryan is here. Sean Fantasy is here. This is a really enjoyable movie. It's a sweet movie. It's it's adorable for a lot of reasons. It's the beginning of a lot of people's careers. It's the start of the whole Judd Apatow run. Although I guess you could say it started with Anchorman the year before, but still. Um, as you rewatch this movie 15 years later, it was the anniversary. Sean, what do you see? I see what you just said, which is the the beginning of a comedy revolution, a series of people who would become basically the face of American comedy for the next 10 years and mostly dudes, but some very funny dudes and all coming from a person who has consumed every single piece of comedy that we've seen in the 100 years before and processed it through his own lens and is making the exact kind of thing he wants to make. It's a really great movie. Chris? Uh, really the rise of like improv style comedy in big big movies, um, which I think you sort of see in some things coming before it, like even Anchorman. But I remember watching 40-Year-Old Virgin and seeing Seth Rogen or Paul Rudd walk into a scene and be like, oh, they don't know what they're going to say yet. And, and you could tell that this was just like the funniest version of whatever five or six or seven different jokes that they offered up. And as a rewatchable and as, as a DVD or if you watch it on YouTube, like the outtakes, the bloopers, the alternates kind of create like a second movie. So the 40-year-old virgin as like the version we know, then there's the unrated version, then there's the stuff that's on YouTube, then there's just like all the bloopers. It winds up becoming almost bigger than just the movie that was in the theaters. It's funny that this came out 25 years after Caddyshack almost exactly because Caddyshack is the cocaine stumbled into it version of of this this is a lot more um smartly executed and thought out ahead of time but same kind of premise right put a bunch of funny people in a movie let them cook they did i think 
look, I don't know. I never understand the whole when they talk about how much film was used when they film a movie, but they used over a million feet of film. And apparently when that happens, the film company sends champagne to the to the set because they're so excited. So much film was chewed up. That's like an Apocalypse Now number. Just right. <laughs> I don't shot think- this in a fucking Staples. <laughs> Francis Coppola went to the Philippines. Apatow was like in the valley, like, hey, do another one, Paul. Like, well, I don't know if anyone had ever done that with comedy before. I think people had done that with drama, but nobody had just kept going, do another one, do another one. I'll keep the film rolling, keep going. And I think that's how a lot of this stuff is done now. And you know, when people do comedies like this, I think they go out of their way to ad lib. I think this movie and the movies that followed set up this whole new way to do comedy where it's like, we have this script, but I also have some funny people. I'm going to let them cook too. And that really didn't happen until this movie and Anchorman. Yeah. The million feet of film thing though is unique because it's all based on the timing, right? This is before the digital revolution in movie making, it's right at the end of a different generation of movie making. And Judd obviously had been producing movies for the 10 years before this. So you can imagine this was like a probably a surprisingly expensive movie just based on that, just based on the amount of time. And also, I mean, this is kind of like the beginning of the apocalypse now of comedy's era. I mean, Judd's movies are long. You know, that's yeah. like that's the single biggest criticism about them. And Do you guys feel like having this fight now? The two of you? Because I love about it. Whether it's too long? Yeah, no, about whether all of his movies are too long, about whether the Gary Shandling doc is too long. <laughs> it's a key well, disagreement between Bill and I. Well, here's the thing. My columns were always too long. And mm. his, Judd's attitude about why his stuff is too long is basically like, why wouldn't it be long? This is my one chance. Like, I'm giving you more material. Well, you're complaining? It's almost like you go over to somebody's house for dinner and they're like, here's just too much food. What do you mean you don't like too much food? I have I, I have steak, I have chicken, I have fish. Why why are you complaining? And that's kind of how I felt about my columns. So, you know, I I I'm torn on it because sometimes, you know, especially with documentaries, as you guys know, I'm in the camp of don't waste a second. Like this should be like a piece of filet mignon. Other people just feel differently. So I, I think creatively, there's a little bit of disagreement. But Sean is in the camp of give me more, give me as much as possible. And I don't I don't think anybody's right. Do you? No, I, I think it's just it's a personal thing for me. And I have the exact same point of view that Judd has, which is so the alternative is I don't know the other stuff you have. Just give me everything and let me evaluate it for myself. You know, the same right. reason that I like a long book, the same reason that I don't mind watching three hour movies about you know, the death of an Italian family from the 1960s. I just, just give me the maximalist version of it and I'll evaluate whether or not you use the time wisely. And I think for the most part, Judd does that, though I understand why people feel critical of it because comedies don't usually get to be, they don't, they're, they're just not usually delivered in this way. So it's unconventional when you watch the unrated version of this movie and it's two hours and 12 minutes. Yeah. You're like, why is this so long? It just doesn't feel like <laughs> the way Caddyshack feels, which is an hour and 40 minutes. That's what we're used to. So yeah. it's just, I think it's just, it unnerves us in a way. Well, this movie was was the shortest Apatow movie. Yes, but you could tell he wanted it to be longer when you look at the unrated version. Right. So how long was the real version? It was like 20 minutes less? I think it's like 150, 147. Yeah, and then the unrated version is like 215 or something like that. Yeah. Chris, where do you stand on this argument? Well, I think it really matters that as he got a little bit older, and I think he's changed this recently as he started to work with like Amy Schumer and Pete Davidson, but the early Judd Apatow movies were relatively high concept compared to the middle ones. 
Like, I don't mind it if it's going to be long and it has something to do with a story. If it's just, hey, we're 40. Like, and then you make like a three hour movie about it. That's that might be a little bit more demanding. If it's like this guy's a virgin and he's 40 and he works at smart tech and he's got these dirtbag like animal friends like that has like a, a ceiling on it about like how much story there needs to be there. And I think that sometimes earlier on in his directorial career, Judd was making movies that were about a very specific plot point or about a very specific concept. And then as he got a little bit older, he started making movies that were just a little bit more slice of life. And that's where those movies feel longer, even when they, you know, regardless of Runtown. I actually think this movie, I like. I really like the unrated thing. There, there weren't, I think, a lot of points where it dragged. And I liked all the choices. I liked having more Rudd and Rogan. And I just think to catch those guys at, those point of their, at that point of their careers was great. And I didn't mind that it was over two hours. It didn't feel long to me. I didn't. It didn't feel like it dragged. Did you feel like this movie dragged? Because I did not. Not really. I think that part of it is because you, you know, it's a, it is a classic rewatchables in a lot of ways. This is this is probably one of the most rewatched movies of the last fifteen years, and it's because it has the same way that Bad Boys has five great action set pieces and two great comedy scenes. This movie just has five or six really, really memorable scenes. And the movie, you're kind of waiting for the scene to come. You're waiting for the next scene to come. You're waiting for the next scene to come. And so there's no reason to, you, you don't think about turning it off. Because you're like, oh, yeah. well, you know, I haven't gotten to this part. I haven't gotten to the club scene yet. I haven't gotten to Elizabeth Banks part yet. I haven't gotten to this part with Romany Malco yet. So because you're waiting for moments to happen, they don't feel like they drag as much. I think the movies that Chris was talking about, some of the later career stuff, which are more of these like Hal Ashby dramedies, they don't have these big comic set pieces in the middle of them as much. So you don't feel like you're experiencing the movie in the same way. This one is just, it's a highlight reel. Yeah. And the, this one really actually hits the right balance between, I can't believe we're being so like clinical talking about this, but <laughs> you know, it hits the right balance between chest waxing and hitting each other with the light bulbs. Like the hitting each other with the light bulbs is just some inane bullshit that they're like, yeah, wouldn't it be funny if they did this? The it's chest so waxing though. is the kind of thing you build you build an entire career off of. And that's one of the other weird things going back to watch us is to see where Carell is now and just then watch him like urinating in his own face with his erection in the morning <laughs> and the, op the opening credits of this movie. Well, we should talk about Carell because it's I don't think this would happen now where somebody becomes famous at a at kind of a later point of his life. You know, this is him and Stephen Colbert specifically are two guys who became famous probably six, seven years after it could have happened. And with Carell, like I, you know, I, I knew he was, found out belatedly he was this, you know, comedy legend within the comedy circles. But until he was an anchorman as Brick Tamland, you know, he was completely unknown to me. I don't know if, they, if there was something else that he was in before that, but I- The, da I really, the Daily Show. He, well, he was one of the correspondents on The Daily Show. But I, did, very, very I didn't funny. watch The Daily Show back then mm -hmm. that much. Mm -hmm. So when he, I knew him as the Anchorman guy and I don't know, he's, he's really good in this movie. And, and you think like the office was also started this year and you think like, this is just an amazing year, like apex mountain, not hard to figure out for, uh, <laughs> for Steve Carell here, but he does some, it's not just that he's great in this movie. The character is so detailed. And I think for a comedy, especially like coming off Caddyshack last week, where it's just these broad strokes of like Ty Webb, he's kind of a dick. And, this one, the amount of thought they put into like his room and the action figures he had and all of the subtle shit going on there. It, it was like, it's about as complex of a movie character 
as you're going to have. What does that character look like in 2020, do you guys think? Hmm. Uh, he's, he's called an incel. Then yeah. and he's on a I message did, I, board. <laughs> I did. I did have that in my notes. I um, had that in unanswerable <laughs> questions. Does this become yeah. an incel comedy if this is 2020? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it just seems less fun. I mean, I think it's yeah. It's, it gets it gets to be more sweet in this period of time, and it's it's got Steve Martin vibes. You know, it's got that weird like this is the outcast, this is the idiot, but he's somehow lovable vibes. And for some reason, that has become really like third rail topic like to make these outsider movies it's usually you wind up with joker you know right <laughs> uh but but with with this there was still a kind of weird and Carell just has this uh in almost all of his movies except for like Foxcatcher. uh he he has like an inherent sweetness to him well i think that steve martin the jerk is a good parallel to this because that was kind of the version of this for the late 70s it was the late 70s movies, but for that generation where it's like, this guy's just a doofus, but it's completely conceivable that somebody would fall in love with him and you're rooting for him. Steve Carell's character in this movie is like a semi-doofus, but, you know, it's also conceivable that he could get Catherine Keener. It's also conceivable he could get promoted at Best Buy, you know, and it's like, He's got this other side and it's like, oh my God, look at this guy. And when his friends see his apartment, they almost have a heart attack. But it's not like psychotic. It's just like, yeah, this guy's had no girlfriend this entire time. It's realistic. He has $100,000 worth of collectibles. By the way, those would be worth like a million dollars now. Um, I don't think they ever, do you feel like they tilt it too far, make them too crazy, Sean? Or is it like the right balance? Because I think it's the right balance. No, and I think I think the Steve Martin call is a great one. The, the Steve Martin movie just reminded me of was The Lonely Guy, where, mm. you know, like, it, this is an inherently nice, decent, hardworking guy who had some bad luck with women early in his life, and it completely shattered him and traumatized him. And so he decided, like, I'm just going to ignore that part of the human impulse, and I'm going to lean into the stuff I like. And I say this as a person with like 9,000 Blu-rays behind me. Sometimes you just get a little hooked on collecting shit. And sometimes it's weird. And sometimes it can make you seem like an odd person. And, I, you know, I think that that character is, like you said, it's, it makes sense that he would be promoted. It makes sense that he would learn how to make friends later in life. It makes sense that he is like pals with his neighbors and they watch Survivor together. Like it's, he's just a, he's a functionally good guy who is just missing one little strand of life. Yeah, Apatow's essentially made the same movie like whatever, five, seven times, which is essentially about someone who is in a state of suspended late childhood. You know, whether it's that they just really like living with their male friends and and um, trying to found a Mr. Skin ripoff site or, <laughs> you know, it's Amy Schumer getting fucked up every night and not wanting to get her life together or Pete Davidson getting fucked up every night and not wanting to pull his life together. It's just about like the transformation into an actual becoming an actual adult. This is the one that actually has that extra layer of huge like physical comedy on top of it. You know what I mean? Like this movie is both very funny in the like one-liners way and then it's very funny in like just watching Steve Carell ride a bicycle where you're just like <laughs> look at this guy out in the real world. This is amazing. <laughs> Well, you know, Sean mentioned The Lonely Guy. That's a good call. And, uh, you know, Apatow grows up. Those are the comedies he's probably watching when he's a kid. Lonely Guy is one of my favorite random early 80s movies. It's not quite a rewatchable. I don't think it's aged fantastically. But there's some fucking awesome scenes in that. Like, I, I like that movie more than The Jerk. Like, when he when he goes for 
uh, he goes to dinner by himself and they put the table for one. They put the spotlight on him. Like there's like 20 really funny things like that. And this does feel like the version of those movies that somebody made who grew up watching those movies. The other piece of this, and now it seems like we, you know, this has been a theme for 15 years was he just went out of his way to put scenes in of guys kind of busting each other's balls and just, you know, basically pseudo SNL sketches of just like, Hey, here's a theme. Just make fun of each other. Do your thing. Like male bonding scenes, basically. And that was something that we talked about a little bit on when we did swingers kicking and screaming has some stuff like that. There's a couple of movies from the mid nineties, but Apatow was the one I think who really tripled down on that stuff. He's like, I want to put funny people together and there's going to be real friendship, but more importantly, ball busting. And he was the first person that really executed it correctly. And then it got ripped off for the next 15 years in a whole bunch of different ways. It got ripped off on TV shows, got ripped off on movies. But I don't, do you really remember seeing this in the 2000s before this? Well, the thing that works for 40 year old virgin for me is that they actually, I think they're coworkers first and then they're friends. And because they're coworkers, you get like a wider variety of people fucking with each other. Right. Whereas like in clerks, and even as we would see in like in, in Knocked Up, it's more like these guys who are like boys and they're busting each other's balls in a very specific way. The, the almost like the demented part about Free Your Virgin is like just the randomness of the people who are working at smart tech, but like are like completely on the same page about how they're treating one another. Yeah. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I think it shows the heavy influence of Seth Rogen on Judd Apatow's comedy. For I sure. Think- Seth is like the chaos agent who superpowered Judd's comedy because Seth was 22 when they made this movie. They had worked together on a couple of TV shows. He was working as a producer on television shows when he was 19 and 20 years old. And he was still in that phase of life too where not unlike the swingers guys who are in their 20s, you'd sit around with your friends and you'd bust each other's balls. You'd make fun of each other. You were not at that like more elevated stage of life where you have a romantic partner or you have kids or you have a career. Like he was still in the fuck it era of his life. And so you can kind of feel that suffusing Judd's comedy and you can feel that suffusing the improv stuff that we're talking about. And that's the thing is like the movie is almost like a, it's a little bit of a generational clash in some ways where Steve Carell is, is you know, he's 40 years old. Like I'm not, I'm not 40 years old right now. And he's, he's lived a lot of life. And Seth's character is, is ostensibly 23, 24, 25. And so the way that those two characters interact is different too. The knocked up guys, those guys are all 26 years old at the same time. Yeah. So this one is, is, is unique in that way. And, and also because of what Chris said, that they're, they're, they're colleagues, you know, like um, what's the characters? Is it Mooj? You know, that, that guy's yeah. like in his, in his sixties. <laughs> like, there's just a really <laughs> weird collection of people in this movie all in, interacting with each other. Yeah. It allows you to have Romany Malco and Jane Lynch, like wandering around where like, if they, if it was just like, do you guys live together? have you guys like moved here from high school or college together? It probably wouldn't have happened. You know, another thing with this movie is, is, and a thing that has set Apatow apart basically since he started doing TV was his taste for who he should put in movies and who is funny. And the fact that he was like kind of all in on Seth Rogen from day one, you know, really smart. Uh, Paul Rudd, he just loved really smart. Paul Rudd was bouncing around there in the 90s for a few years. But then you look at some of the younger people. I had this in What's Age the Best, but you know, you got cameos in here from Kevin Hart. 
Elizabeth Banks, it's extended cameo. Jonah Hill's in this movie, Mindy Kaling. You know, he, he, he does this over and over again where he's just like, that person's got something and either that, I'm going to throw Mindy's them in my movie. It's first movie, right? It's Mindy Kaling's first movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's over and over again. He's like, that person has something and either I'm going to throw them in my movie or I'm going to build an entire movie around her or him like he did with Amy Schumer, like he did with Pete Davidson. I don't, I don't think people are really thinking of Pete Davidson as, you know, the lead of a pretty big budget comedy movie, but that's what he sees. And this movie specifically, there's like 12 people that all went on to bigger things afterwards. I, I guess the only one who really didn't, who still had a pretty good career was Roman E. Malco, right? Like he, you know, he, he was around. I, I don't think, if you watch this movie, he's really good at it. You would have thought, like, what happened one. to that guy next? <laughs> yeah. yeah. You, know, you, you, uh, want, you want to hear my theory on that right now? Well, he's super religious, right? Uh, I, I'm not sure why specifically it didn't happen on his part, but this is the first time I can ever remember a real-time market correction in a movie where two, the, two, the character, the person who is being corrected shares a scene with the person who corrected them. And it's when oh, Kevin Art, Hart and Malco go face to face. And you can see happening in the moment. Romany Malco has, it kind of owns the movie up until this point. Yes. I mean, he gets some, most of the best lines. He was the person who, when I came out of the theater, I was like, who is that? And Kevin Hart has his career. I mean, Kevin Hart is the single biggest comedy movie star of the last 10 years. And their, their styles are not that different. Yeah, well... I read they, there were some 15th anniversary pieces that were out. One of them was for, about Romany Malco talking about how it changed his life. They finished filming and he called Judd Apatow and begged him to cut all his scenes. And he was like, we can't. You're funny. The reason he wanted to cut it is because his, uh, his family was really religious. His mother was an ordained minister and he just thought they were going to see this movie and freak out. So like genuinely wanted them to cut all his scenes. And Judd Apatow was like, no, we're not doing that. But that might have been the reason he made kind of safer career choices. But it's interesting. I, he's like borderline electric in this movie. Every he's scene he's great. in, you're so like, good. I wish this guy was in more of it. We don't really uh, have a, a who stole the movie category. I think the closest thing we have is Dion Waiters, but we should probably introduce it because he comes pretty close. Yeah, it's good. Uh, that's a good. Uh, maybe we should have that for comedies. Yeah. Yeah. You so, almost stole the movie. The film was based on a sketch Carell created while performing with Second City about a 40-year-old man hiding a big secret, which is funny because the poker scene, which I have for one of the most rewatchable scenes, that really does feel like a Second City sketch where he's he's just kind of imitating how the other guys are talking, where they would say something like, yeah, man, you got to tap that ass. And he's just, he has no idea how to interact with any of them. But uh, I'm not surprised that that came out of a Second City thing. Um, the Universal Pictures was like not delighted with this movie as they were filming it. They halted the the production the first week because they were worried that Carell's character um, would seem too much like a serial killer. They did not like the footage from uh, from the early stuff, and they thought Paul Rudd was way too fat. And <sighs> <laughs> and one of their big notes was he's overweight and they told Apatow he was lighting the film like an indie. And then um, apparently Paul Rudd like stopped eating. So there's like one or two scenes where he looks heavier than in the rest of the movie because he lost like uh, 10, 11 pounds. 
This seemed crazy to me, but I actually, I texted Judd and just asked him. It was the only thing I asked him about this movie is like, hey, Paul Rudd, they uh, they really thought he was too fat. And he's like, yeah, that's a weird note to have to deliver to the talent or something like that. But <laughs> um, so anyway, they were not behind this movie. And as usual, as our old friend William Goldman said, nobody knows anything. $26 million budget made $177 million. It was a massive hit. Um, was on the fringe of award stuff that year and just was a monster movie. And I, were you guys surprised that it did that well? Like 177 million is like a borderline superhero movie in 2005. People fucking love R-rated comedies, man. Yes. I, I mean, like, I'm not, I guess I was surprised because there's so few of these people were well known at the, at that moment. So it's like a huge star making mechanism. But like, I just feel like I, one thing I've learned throughout my life is just people love dick jokes and people love, love, love sexually charged comedy and like busting people's balls. And like it's every time it happens, they're like, where where did the hangover come from? How are we doing this? And it's like because people this is how people actually talk. This is how people like the jokes that they actually make. Well, here's the thing. We do this sometimes where I go through the Oscars. Oh, my God. <laughs> 2005, legendary bad Oscars year. Really bad. So best picture, you have Crash Wins, famously. You also have Brokeback Mountain, Capote, Good Night and Good Luck, and Munich are five nominees. Munich, fucking overrated. Uh, Good Night and Good Luck, a movie I never want to see again. (laughs) Capote's fine. Wait, can we just, for a second, Munich fucking overrated? Is that what you said? Oh. So disappointing for me. I was Why? so fired up for that movie. Eh. Why were you fired up for that movie? Because I it was it was like Spielberg, <laughs> Munich thriller. Like I it was like on paper that movie looked like it was gonna be amazing. This Listen. is literally this is isn't this literally a bit in Knocked Up where Seth Rogen's character <laughs> is obsessed with Munich and he's like yeah because after Bannis that was probably mad it got nominated. <laughs> Listen. You guys, there's no way you guys have had a conversation about Munich in the last 10 years. That movie has not, that movie has no legs and Sean no legacy. Sean and I definitely turned to each other and said, yeah. Munich, Munich was pretty good. B- it's Bill, pretty you, good. Misunder- you misunderstand my friendship with Chris because frankly, <laughs> honestly, we talk about Munich like every 18th day. That, that's just the kind of vibe we have. Bullshit. Bullshit. It's, it's honestly, Don't it's get mad at this us. Is, <laughs> so this is, but this is not like a horrendous Oscar year. It just has a horrendous best picture winner. I think that I think that's a bad category. Good night and good luck as an Oscar nominee is fucking ridiculous. It would never happen in 2020. It just wouldn't. Yeah. I think it's no. I think it's a solid film. Oh great. It's a solid film that gets nominated <laughs> for best picture Oscar. Get the fuck out of here. Best actor. <laughs> Philip Seymour Hoffman wins for Capote. It's it's that's a it's it's good, but it's more important. It was like people just like Philip. They it was it was time for him to win an award. Yeah. Terrence Howard for Hustle and Fall. I'm good with that. Heath Ledger for Brokeback. Joaquin Phoenix for Walk the Line. All right. So those are four good ones. Yeah. And then our dude, David, David uh, Stratum. Stratherin. Stratherin. It seemed like you wanted <laughs> to say David Spade and then just changed right at the end. I can't. I can never say the guy's name. <laughs> But he gets nominated for Best Picture or for Best Actor for Good Night and Good Luck as Edward R. Murrow. 
I'm going to say we do that one over and Carell wins for or gets a nomination for 40-Year-Old Virgin. But as we always discuss on this, comedies are just kicked to the side every time yes. we do the Oscars. Carell's performance in this is so nuanced and so good. It's like, who the fuck else could have done that part and been in a really successful, really good movie like that? I promise you that part was harder than Edward R. Murrow. It's fun to imagine any of those other nominees playing this part. Like imagining, imagine Philip Seymour Hoffman as Andy. <laughs> I got to say that would have been a really interesting movie. Terrence, Terrence Howard? Howard. <laughs> yeah, Terrence Howard would be good. But anyway, I mean, my but, point is they people, they just don't care about comedies. And I think in this it, case. It didn't have to be this way. Because I think like when this movie came out, some some critics com- started to compare Apatow to, to Billy Wilder. And they were like, if you look closely at what he's trying to do with the kind of character that he's trying to create in the middle of the movie, this actually is part of a legacy of American comedy writing. And there have been times, you know, A Fish Called Wanda, for example, was like a was a comedy that was acknowledged by the Oscars. And there have been times when this has happened. And there have been other times when obviously in the funniest movie of the year is just not as acknowledged as, as it should be. And you know, we talked about there's something about Mary a few times and how that's a movie that like the whole country seemed to agree was really great and then was ignored at Oscar time. And it does yeah. happen from time to time. This one, I don't know. I don't, I'm not sure if I feel... To me, it was more weird that Knocked Up was not more aggressively acknowledged because it felt like that movie took over the world. That was a that was an even bigger Absolutely. success than The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Um, our guy, Raj, Roger Ebert, is on a hot streak after three and a half stars for Pump Up the Volume. He's back in my good graces. <laughs> <laughs> three and a half stars for this movie. Said, quote, I was surprised by how funny, how sweet, and how wise the movie really is. And quote, the more you think about it, the better the 40-year-old virgin gets. I promise nobody's thinking about good night, good luck, same way. <laughs> Munich. I we should all the three of us should just watch Munich on Zoom together and see how many times we get bored over the course of two hours. Because <laughs> it, it the over-under is like eight and a half. Of just like us zoning out, like, oh man. It's like, would you rather watch Munich or uh, Raptors Nets game? (laughs) (laughs) Raptors Nets game four. Uh, We're going to take a break and then do the categories. Hey, don't you think some once in a blue moon moment should happen more than once in a blue moon? That's why Blue Moon is on a mission to celebrate and inspire more of those moments with the new blue moon light sky. You can enjoy the same citrus flavor you expect from Blue Moon with a fraction of the calories and less than four grams of carbs. Light, refreshing, perfect for summertime sipping. All I know about Blue Moon is this. Whenever I have it in the fridge, somebody's over, maybe nowadays even for a little distance drink, and be like, hey, you want a beer? And you mention some of the beers you have in the fridge. If you mention Blue Moon, guess what happens? They'll say, I'll have a Blue Moon. That's just what goes on with Blue Moon. It's crafted with one-of-a-kind appearance and taste, unfiltered, creamy texture, subtly sweet, brewed with Valencia orange for a bright, refreshing twist of citrus. I would suggest uh, garnishing it with a signature orange wheel to accentuate the citrus. Um, Great for summertime occasions. We still have some summer left here. Uh, You could pair it with seasonal favorites like street tacos, chicken skewers, summer salads, whatever you want. Once in a Blue Moon, should happen more than once in a blue moon, like the rewatchables, which we started doing twice a week. It shouldn't be once in a blue moon once a week. Whenever you reach for a blue moon, be reminded of the extraordinary. The next time you're out with friends, 
or just enjoying a night in, reach for a Blue Moon. It's the beer you can enjoy every day. You can have Blue Moon delivered by going to get.bluemoonbeer.com and finding delivery options near you. Blue Moon, reach for the moon. Celebrate responsibly. Blue Moon Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, Ale. Back to the pod. All right, most rewatchable scene. The opening Best Buy scene does a lot of good stuff. That has uh, <laughs> Seth Rogen this story about seeing a woman fuck a horse. <laughs> we went to uh, Tijuana, Mexico, mm-hmm. you know, and we, we we thought it'd be fun, you know, to go to this show. Everyone's you got to check out one of these shows, and you know, it's it's a woman fucking a horse. We get there, and you know, we think it's going to be awesome, and. It is not as cool as it sounds like it would be, man. It is, it's, it's kind of gross. Yeah. You think a woman fucking a horse and you get there and it's, it's a woman fucking a horse. Yeah. It was really giving it to her. And you know what? To be honest, I felt bad for her. We all just felt bad for her. Yeah. Kind of felt bad for the horse. Wow, that's something. So did you, um, what'd you get up to? And then Paul Rudd coming in and just <laughs> accosting Jane Lynch with the Michael McDonald stuff, which... Um, when I watched this movie with my son who got bored about 40 minutes in, but he loved the Yama Be There thing and then watched that uh, on, the, on uh, YouTube over and over again. Hey, Paula. Yeah. I got to tell you something. I'm really excited about it. Uh, for the first time today, I woke up, I came to the store, and I, I feel confident to say to you that if you don't take this Michael McDonald DVD that you've been playing for two years straight off, I'm going to kill everyone in the store and put a bullet in my brain. David, what do you suggest we play? I don't care. Anything. I would rather I would rather watch Beautician and the Beast. I would rather listen to Fran Drescher for eight hours than have to listen to Michael McDonald. Nothing against him, but if I hear Yamo be there one more time, I'm going to Yamo burn this place to the ground. You're such a smart ass. Get back on the floor. Was your son like, Dad, can we just watch Munich, please? <laughs> my son was like, <laughs> my son, my son, I don't know why this didn't click with him. Yeah, how is that possible? I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why it didn't go. Um, if I have to hear Yama be there one more time, just fucking kills me. And Michael McDonald's overall presence in this movie, <laughs> and the concept of just the same DVD being played over and over again at Best Buy—it's very real. It's very. If stuff. you've worked retail, you know that there's great a stuff. couple of things that happen like that that drive you out of your mind. The poker game, which as as I said earlier, feels like an SNL sketch. Um, and when he's talking about brass, that is like it feels like a bag of sand when you're touching it. Uh, just everything he does in that scene—that's my personal favorite scene out of all these scenes. You know, when you're like you grab a woman's breast and it's, and you, you feel it, and it feels like a bag of sand when you're touching it. Bag of sand. You know what I mean. Why don't we just play? Why don't we just deal the cards? What are you, what are you talking about? Have you ever felt a breast before, man? You got the uh, the Leslie Mann scene is just bonkers. It's She's so it's, good. It's that scene is crazy. That's the only scene that's actually like unrealistically unhinged, but in a good way. Where they're just like, let's have like one super crazy scene that's completely unrealistic. The body waxing scene. No, oh, you're doing the nipple. Oh, not the nipple. Come not on. The nipple. Not the nipple. Not the nipple. Please, Cal, hold my hand. Are you kidding me, man? Hold my goddamn hand, man. Oh. Do it. Just hold. Okay, here we go. Whoo. 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 No. Yep. Yep. One, two, three. 
three. Down, nipple fuck! Oh, Mika, you should burn it out! Was like the baby Ruth scene in Caddyshack coming out of the movie and in the theater too. Like just really funny, really memorable, really different, um, and probably the most discussed, I think. By the way, that scene was done for real, obviously. Yeah. They put five cameras in there. And apparently the problem was that was an actress as the waxer, not an actual waxer. So, so when she, they did the nipple thing, job. you're supposed to oil the nipple so it doesn't the nipple doesn't get hurt. So like his his right nipple just gets completely ravaged. <laughs> I was just I was gonna say I was really hoping that we would get into nipple oiling on this in this conversation. So I'm glad we're, we're hitting the moment. Yeah, it's wild how this scene now is taken on the like, you know, uh, De Niro gained a lot of weight for Raging Bull. <laughs> you know? It's like really become like this huge thing where it's like that was really Corral's chest. Just uh, just keep that in mind. When well, you're it's watching. even worse because they had to keep it that way for the rest of the filming because he's shirtless a couple times after. Yeah. So it has all it's the like- same wax stuff. So they had to like go back and wax it some more. Um Couple more rewatchable scenes when Paul Rudd brings the porn over. Yeah. By hey man, got a big box of porn for you. And then uh and tells him about Boner Jams 3. It's a little mix I made. Here it is. Boner Jams 03. It's a mixtape I made. All these great scenes that I was really into in uh, the summer of 2003. Oh. I think you'd really dig it. Yeah. No, I can see that. This is uh Everybody Loves Raymond. That's probably not supposed to be. That's just a good show. I just tape it sometimes. Well, I don't think you understand something, Dave. I don't. I don't want- <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite line in the whole movie. Boner Jams 03. <laughs> These are just some. <laughs> followed by Everybody Loves Boner Raymond. It's just a good show. It's a little mix I made. A lot of good stuff that year. Uh, <laughs> the speed dating scene is really good. Yeah. I love Gina. This is good. Gina's going to come Gina. up later for Dan Waiters. <laughs> Gina's great. <laughs> Yeah, the great Mo Collins. I, I think it's about time I'm hop, I hop on the pogo stick again. Uh, <laughs> the first, his him calling for the first date call with Catherine Keener as those guys are doing the, you know how I know you're gay, which has not aged well for some reasons, but in other ways is just Rudd and Rogan cooking. Um, and then the support group scene. Does anybody else have a question? Um, I, have, uh, I have a question. I think some of the people here might be sexually inexperienced. Is it true that if you don't use it, you lose it? Is that a serious question? No, it wasn't. Okay. Now, there are- just has a lot going on. I love little Seth and his dad and his dad just berating little Seth. Oh, Seth, you think you're cool with your little Jufro? And like all this, all this stuff that's going on with those two. Wait, wait. So, so you're a virgin. <laughs> I tapped that. Yeah, you tap that. Seth, what, you think you're cool with your little Jufro? We don't say tap that. What, what, what are you talking about, Seth? You know what? I'm a virgin, too. Really good stuff. And then uh, and then the end, when the, the, the virginity scene that turns into a musical number, which was actually a really good choice and was Gary Shandling's idea because they couldn't really figure out how to, how to kind of end it. And Jupiter. What happens when he loses his virginity? How do we do it? And the answer was to do a completely silly musical number with every person in the cast. This is dawning of the age of Aquarius. The age of Aquarius. Oh, 
And, uh, and that's what I got. Anything else for you guys? I want to do a special shout out for the extended version of the Kevin Hart, Romany Malco scene, which is incredible. Unreal. He's just like frosty. We fucked dwarves. Like, it is <laughs> unbelievable. It's it's Clemens Cecil Fielder going toe to toe. It's so good. Is this your I also, boy? I should have had that in there. I had that in What's Age the Best because it was shorter. But yeah, you're right. That should be in there as well. I also love when Andy decides to follow Seth Rogen's character's tips and they go into the bookstore. And that's when he says, just does the just ask questions bit. And then he says, be David Caruso and Jade. And, and it's then my favorite. That's the Elizabeth. best line in the movie. Yeah, so so funny. <laughs> and then then he then he has the conversation with Elizabeth Banks, where he seduces her in like ninety seconds. And Elizabeth Banks also is just so 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 funny in this movie. So on point. David Crusoe and Jade is a great one. I don't know Incredible. if that's age for the best or the worst because I don't know if anyone like. There's yeah. no way producer Craig <laughs> knows what Jade. Yeah, but was. if you, if you know it hits. If really you know true. it, it hits yeah. you. Yeah. It hits you nice and hard. Uh, all right, for most rewatchable scene, I love the poker game because I, I just think it's like perfectly written and I love all the stuff that's happening. What do you guys have? Whew, tough one. I, I guess the poker game is the most iconic at this point. I, chest waxing was, but for some reason now, the bag of sand line feels like the one that is most quoted back. It's also the perfect scene for the movie because the way that this movie gets away with these guys saying some of the stuff that it uh, they do is because you're never like, man, these guys are pretty cool. So even though Andy is like, I love, like, yeah, she used to want me to do sex all the time and you know, all, all those lines, the stuff that the other guys are saying is like, you're like, you guys should be in prison probably. And, and, and so you're never like, oh, these guys, I, I just think that the way that they make sex such like a gross foreign thing in this movie, you kind of understand why Andy is a virgin. Where he's just like, right. I just didn't want to deal with it. And you got like Seth Rogen going to Tijuana sex shows and Romany Malco being like getting, you know, like go- going, cheating on his girlfriend every night. And Paul Rudd is a stalker. It's like maybe Andy's got it right just by playing his electronic drum kit at home at night, you know? Right. <clears throat> yeah. My my girl just wanted, just wanted me to nail her. Just nail <laughs> just over and over. She just loved to get down with sex all the time. She was like... Any time of day, she was like, yeah, let's go. I'm so nasty. And I'd be nailing her. Oh, shit. She'd be like, oh, you're nailing me. Cool. She talked dirty to you? Oh, she loved to dirty talk. He's so good in that scene. Um, You know, I was thinking, because obviously there's some stuff that wouldn't fly now in this movie in 2020. But I think one of the reasons this movie is still so rewatchable and you don't get I personally don't get judgmental about any of it is these guys are a bunch of jackasses, right? Except for him. And that's the whole point. A lot of the conversations they're having. And I do wonder like, as people keep, as we make comedies here in the 2020s in the age of, of cancel culture, whether we're going to have characters anymore in comedies that the whole point of the character is that they're a jackass and the stuff they say, it's not like, this doesn't represent the opinions of the director or the studio or whatever. It's just like, these guys are jackasses and we still have jackasses in the world. Like I do fear for the future comedy with some of this stuff because everything gets judged now. And I think if this movie comes out now, it it just becomes this huge 
you know, week-long discourse about, did they cross the line? Were these people insulted? Were that people insulted? And it's kind of like, well, that's not the point of a movie. A movie is is fake and it's got fake characters. Game of Thrones was fake. Game of Thrones was set in some <laughs> alternate universe. Like, you can't judge that by our societal whatever now. Anyway, I'm rambling. I think, but. I think the, the thing that's important is that the characters are a contrast to the character of Andy. Andy is a nice guy. And even though, you know, like the one of the funniest scenes in the movie we didn't mention is the montage of his sad life, like what he does on his Friday nights when he plays his French yeah. horn and he does word up a karaoke by himself in his house, he plays with dolls. And the movie does kind of forecast like really the rise of nerd culture, like geek culture. Like guys right. like Andy kind of take over. They become the center of popular culture. But ultimately, Andy is looking for a healthy relationship with a nice woman and he wants to be in love. And Andy's the hero of the movie. And Seth Rogen's character is not. And Paul Rogen's character is not. And Romani Malco's character is not. Those guys are the idiots. And they don't know. They're all, and they're all damaged. And by the end of the movie, you see that like Romani Malco's character needs to have a kid to figure out how to get his life together. You see that Seth Rogen, especially in the extended edition, is, is a novelist yeah. and is like searching for art. <laughs> And Paul Rudd is is a is a lo- like a lonely drifter, you know. He's looking to rebuild a relationship that never it's, really exists. Psycho. They yeah. also just they're also like you think about what they do in this movie, and while it's very convenient for like the movie itself, they're like, "Hey, we work at Smart Tech. Presumably, we didn't know each other before this job. Yeah, we are our only friends, and we actually hang out at Smart Tech all the time. <laughs> yes. Yeah." <laughs> <laughs> shades, shades, shades of Grantland a little bit. I gotta be honest. <laughs> What's age the best? Great title. Yeah, yes. you know I love great titles. Yes. This is just an awesome title. It tells you every single thing about the movie. The forty-year-old virgin. Five words. Yeah, and the movie's explained, and it's also kind of funny. Uh, Mention the cast. Too. Great poster. The cast is loaded. It's got twelve people who, um, you know, became part of a whole comedy renaissance. Michael McDonald in Best Buy. I like that they apologized to him at the end <laughs> in the credits because <laughs> they don't want to hurt Michael McDonald's feelings. You know my feelings about Michael McDonald. Uh, I got Kat Dennings for What's Age the Best. Really good character. Really good performance by her. Um a role that has gone wrong in a lot of different ways on TV shows or movies where you have like the bitchy 15 year old teenage daughter who's just wet blanket all the time. She's not a wet blanket. She's doing stuff. She's sarcastic. Um, And you watch this movie and you're like, that person's going to go out and end up doing stuff. And she ended up being on a hit sitcom. I like, he doesn't have a car and he does magic. Awesome. Like (laughs) stuff like that, where she's like uh, D from what's happening. Um, I love the little touches for what a nerd Steve Carell is in this movie. Um, When they're looking at the action figures, he's like, look at that. You can't get rid of that $6 million man. And he's like, it's Oscar Goodman. That one's worth a lot of money. (laughs) It's like such like a stealth mid seventies TV reference. Cause he's right. Like I, the fact that Oscar even had an action figure is amazing. By the way, Chris, big news on action Mm. figures. Yeah. Don't, why are you single me? I don't have any. (laughs) Well, no, because this is for you and me. Because this is the one for us for uh, the 150th rewatchables. Apparently, they made an action figure of Al Pacino and cruising. What? Yeah. <laughs> Somebody sent me a picture. 
Pacino. The guy's name was like Steve Forbes or whatever. Who sent you that picture, Jame Gum? (laughs) (laughs) Do not give that person your address, Bill, because if you do, they will come to your house and kill you with the action figure. I just wanted to send you this action figure. Somebody somebody hit me up on Instagram and said, I'm doing a William Friedkin deep dive of all his movies now. Did you know there was a Steve Forbes action figure? Uh, Anyway, uh, more what's age the best from this movie. The opening credits are really good. I, I, you know, as, as we watch all these, I always admire when they actually try in the opening credits versus just like running graphics of everybody's name. Is this supposed to be taking place in the valley, by the way? Yeah, Encino. Okay. Is that where it is? It looks That's so where much the like Pasadena is, yeah. to me. Okay, Encino. They, that makes sense. Smoking pot out of an apple is just always, I always admire that as somebody who had a whole MacGyver stage with marijuana. Um, to see somebody successfully pull out the apple. Also seems like they really did that. Rogan seems super stoned in that scene. Um, So I have this in what's age the best and the worst. The the, uh, Lionel Richie hello jerk off scene (laughs) is really funny. At the same time, I'm not sure if you're under 25, you get how funny it is to hear the song hello. But in 2005, it was a home run. But so I, I'm going to put that in both categories. And then uh, the po- the the condom scene when he goes through 10 condoms in about a minute and then the daughter walks in with the boyfriend and then every, there's, everybody gets mad at each other and, and the boyfriend stays and he's like, dude, teach me. Thinking that <laughs> Steve Carell is like some stud. That really made me laugh. Any other, uh, what's age the best for you guys? Seth Rogen's t-shirts. Got a Nirvana t-shirt, Sonic Youth, Public Enemy, Jizzes, Liquid Swords. Pretty great. All the music in the movie is really good. You know, yep. it opens that that opening credit sequence to set to the Joe Walsh song. Uh, the Asia, big climactic chase sequence. Age of Aquarius, obviously. It's really good. Chris? Oh, I got one more. Yeah. Stormy Daniels. Oh yeah. oh, yeah. That's a good what's age the best. Yeah, she has a key talking scene and nude scene in this. And um, and then 14 years later, brought down our president. Oh, wait, she didn't. Um, <laughs> I have for the what's age the best, uh, the title for me. Title with Kat Dennings as a runner-up. What do you guys have? I like the title as a, as a pick. I think, and Chris had the poster too. The title and the poster... Yeah, poster. Just the way a title and a poster more perfectly yeah. sold a movie to an audience. That's a, that's a really good one. What's age the worst? So this is just a personal thing for me. Get Out kind of ruined Catherine Keener for me in all of her previous movies. I this is- she's so creepy in that movie with the T that when I see her in anything, anything even. Years ago, stuff she made in the 90s and the 2000s, I just get freaked out by her. I, that movie had a real impact on me with her in a way that I just, I mean, she makes me uncomfortable. I think of the tea. I think of her face staring at, uh, staring at, uh, what was the guy's name? Who's the lead guy in Get Out? Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. I just don't like it. it but she makes me uncomfortable. So that's a I personal under- thing. I understand it's a personal thing. I think she's amazing in this movie. She's like I know. so it's unfair. perfectly cast I'm- because she is just oddball enough that like it her and Andy work. If she is like 
just like how in the world is this woman, you know, so beautiful, so successful or something going for Andy? It doesn't work. But like with with her and she's got this weird eBay store. It's right. so perfect. Um, another with Sage the Wears, there was for when this movie came out, the concept of an eBay store and a trend of people selling collectibles, it, it did feel relatively new. I mean, eBay basically started. I remember writing a column for my old website about it in 2000 and being like, holy shit, I can go find, you know, a vintage Patriots jersey in this place. This is amazing. And for anybody who was at least a little nerdy with that stuff, myself included, baseball cards, basketball cards, uncut sheets, um, that was the stuff I used to look for. But it was this whole universe and it still felt really fresh in uh, 2005 when they did this. Now it's like, you know, we've had 20 years of nerd collector culture. There's a yeah. there's just so much dead tech in the movie that feels weird to look at. Like coming over with a big box of porn tapes, you know, I had that buying too. buying a VCR, eBay, uh, you know, or I'm gonna tell Paula that you're all stealing the recordable CDs. Yeah. You know, there's all these jokes <laughs> that are about all of this stuff that we just don't use anymore that it makes it really it's really like a full period piece now. And even yeah. that whole that whole thing between uh Carell and Keener where he's just like, yeah, you're just like, this is only going to be good for you for six months. The D- D- VHS DVD dual player. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and then por- just porn collections on VHS is age the worst. And VHS tapes and everything VHS related. You can't even buy a VHS player now. If you go online to go buy one, it's all stuff that you have to go like on eBay, basically. Um, and then, you know, there's a running, you know, I know your gay theme that would probably not play well in 2020. I I still think it's essential to those characters and just the way they interact, but whatever. Any other well, what's the worst for you guys? There's just one interesting thing about that scene, which obviously like the idea of the gay panic joke is has not aged well. And we don't, you know, you don't see that. You were, you're not going to see that, I don't think, in, in, in the American comedies nearly as much as you did 15 or 30 years ago. But that scene was supposed to be about Paul Rudd's character describing various ways he was going to kill himself. And they were doing a riff back and forth with each other. And during their improv session between Rogan and Rudd, they basically pivoted into this bit that they were doing. There's like a commentary on the on the DVD about how they got to this moment. And it wasn't in the script. And then they just started improving all of this stuff. And it could have, this could have, that scene very well could have just not been in the movie. It could have just been him saying like, I'm going to put my head in an oven. And then Seth yeah. Rogan saying, can you even put your head in the oven? So it's interesting that like this became you know, an important scene in the movie, a very well-known scene in the movie, and it wasn't meant to be there, which goes back to everything we were saying about the kind of set that Apatow was creating at that time. Yeah, and even like the Rogue, uh, the Rudd character's kind of obsession with the with with Amy or Mindy Kaling or whatever, it was it's that moment in the dating the the datathon where she's just like, we've been broken up for two years. I've changed I've, my email. Yeah, he's a fucking <laughs> yeah. stalker. He's a dirtbag. Yeah. yeah. Uh casting what ifs. So I don't really, I couldn't really find any other than um, Apatow had Jason Siegel in this film, and he was going to play one of the guys. And Universal, for whatever reason, refused to allow him to cast Jason Siegel. So he was going to be, I guess, just one more of the buddies. He was going to be in there with Paul Rudd and and uh, Seth Rogen, and Universal nixed it. And um, Jason Siegel, actually, I think when I did the podcast with him, I think we talked about this. How he was, you know, really bummed out. He was supposed to be in that movie and stuff like that. So, um, best that guy, aka the Joey Pants Award. 
to me, it's one guy. It's it's Mooch. <laughs> Mooch. <laughs> Mooch's stats are surprisingly really good in this movie. And uh, for people listening who don't totally know the characters, he's the younger or the older Indian guy in this movie. But um, he's bringing the heat. His real name is Jerry Bedknob. But I mean, he's just Mooch. If you saw him on a Lower and Order, Order episode, you'd be like, Mooch, there he is. So I yeah. think definition of it, that guy. Vincent Hannon, give me all you got over acting award. So I know it's in the script, but Elizabeth Banks does dial it up. Your friend is so shiny. This guy knows exactly what I like. <laughs> Where's your friend going? Oh. <laughs> this is how I'm going to warm up for you. <laughs> That's always good to warm up. You don't want to pull something. I love it. It's, I think it's, it's great. I think it's worthy, and she had to. But if you're going to give that award to somebody in a comedy, it's hard to give the award. But I think again, she's just doing a thing that Marilyn Monroe and Jane Mansfield and all characters from the 50s and 60s comedies were doing. She's just doing the kind of the sex pot comic joke character. You know, it's just not yeah. that far from Gene Hagen and Singing in the Rain. It's like there is a legacy of that character. Would you put uh, Leslie Mann in the Vincent Hanna zone here? You could, but I, I think. It's a comedy, and both of those performances are exactly what. Yeah, they it's hard have to done. give Vincent yeah. Hanna to comedies because if you're doing yeah, that, you're yeah. doing it right. Yeah, you're just dialing up. Uh, Deanne Waiters, Mooch, Leslie Mann, Gina, Jane Lynch. I'm going to say eligible, even though she's pro- she's probably in too many scenes. Kat Dennings, and uh, and Elizabeth Banks. You don't have Kevin Hart here. Yeah, I guess Kevin Hart should be in there. I don't know why I didn't write him down. I would also nominate David Koechner for the scene in, there all in, the, <laughs> in the therapy session. He's, he's, it's a really great things they don't let you seconds. do in Alabama. Yeah, <laughs> I uh, my my finalist would be Leslie Mann and Kevin Hart. What do you guys have? Oh, did we say Jonah too? I yeah, mean, I, I like guess jo- yeah, I don't Jonah think he's in the winning. eBay store. Yeah, Kevin Hart or uh, Leslie Mann. I, I personally think it's actually Leslie Mann. I think, I think she's it's really Leslie funny Mann. in this. Yeah, let's get some fucking French toast. Not the wheel. Not gonna get my pants acting like that. Starving. Let's get some fucking French toast. Okay. Here we are. Oh God. I'm going with Kevin Hart because because he he steals Romany Malco's career right in front of him. Now you're being condescending. See. Mm-hmm. You've been warned, all right? Let's move forward amicably. Okay, well, so check I- this out. Though. First of all, you're throwing too many big words at me, okay? Now, because I don't understand them, I'm going to take them as disrespect. Mm-hmm. Watch your mouth okay. and help me with the sale. Okay, see? See, now you found yourself in this. Wow. Recasting couch. I know you guys like Katherine Keener in this movie. Mm-hmm. What about 2004 Courtney Cox? Mm. I'll just say this. I'll make the case... I'm the, I wouldn't change the casting in this movie. I'm just going to make the case for Courtney Cox. It's the kind of part I always wanted her to play in a movie. I think whatever she was, she never figured it out in a movie for whatever reason. And I wish she had. And I think it would have been a part like this. Somebody who was a little comic, a little all over the place. Neurotic. Neurotic, sexy, almost like Monica in a movie. Um but obviously something's wrong because she's going to end up with this loser 
or seeming loser. Um, I just wish she had been in a movie like this. I was always a I I always thought Courtney Cox was underrated. I guess is my point. I, I liked what Chris said about Catherine Keener before, which is that her character is just weird enough, and Catherine Keener has this legacy of being like the unconventional leading lady in strange independent movies, like Living in Oblivion, and I it just made it made Courtney Cox is like too conventionally famous and beautiful. For yeah. this, like we, we're, there'd be a lot of baggage if she came on the screen. That's whereas fair. with Catherine Keener, not as much for me. I just watched her in Your Friends and Neighbors, which is an absolutely insane movie. And it's funny to see her because that was her career for years. Yeah. And then I think part of the reason the casting works, which is why I wouldn't change it, is um, you're just used to her as this certain type of indie actress. And then she's in this. It's like, whoa. And then they talked about with the, um, in some of the pieces about the movie, especially the 50th anniversary about, um, it felt like more of a real movie because she was in it. Yes. There was That's a exactly weightiness right. to it, which I, I think is a smart way to think about it. Um, have fast internet research. Apatow said Gary's, Gary Shandling came up with the, um, with the idea for the ending. Said it, his note was that it was important to show Andy was having better sex because he was in love. So that's how they end up with the musical number. Um, Technicolor was the film company, and they they do apparently send champagne every time somebody does a million feet of film. The American Humane Association withheld its no animals were harmed during the making of this movie thing because um, apparently several tropical fish accidentally were murdered <laughs> during the filming of this. So let me just ask you this. If that's the case... Them, like, whether or not they, like, bless a movie or not has nothing to do with whether the movie comes out. It's just, like, something to say at the end of it, right? Yes. So, like, th I, this is just hilarious to me when I read this because I'm, like, people put so much stock in whether or not they're, like, any animals were harmed during the making of the movie. But, in fact, if you do harm any animals, you could still just put the movie out. Right. They just want to express their uh, disappointment. Right. Yeah, they just want you to know you're watching an animal snuff film. <laughs> Leslie Mann um, went out to a club and got drunk with with Seth Rogen who had a camera and her friend Denise and um, Rogen shot footage of what she looked like when she was actually drunk and she was appalled but then used how she acted in that footage to um, to pull off that scene and she's really funny in that scene there's um, a funny moment in the outtakes where uh, Apatow keeps feeding her lines. You know, he's like, say, let's go back to our house and do ecstasy. And she's like, we have kids. Come on. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the electronic store was not a set. It was a repurposed staples that had just been shut down. Um, oh, with the uh, this movie had a big effect on The Office because... The first season of the U.S. version of The Office, the Steve Carell character, they felt like it was a little too nasty and menacing. And when they saw this movie and they saw like him being a buffoon and doing some of the stuff that he was doing, they realized that they had to incorporate more of that in The Office. So that was cool. Uh, that's all I got for that. Apex Mountain. Steve Carell, definitely. Because mm -hmm. this movie comes out, becomes a smash hit, and he's got The Office. I don't, I don't think there's... It's got to be the pinnacle of anyone's comedy career. 
Apatow, I'm going to say no. No. Yeah, I don't know up. what it is, but we can litigate that at a later date. But I, I mean, you could argue knocked up. up. Yeah. yeah, it could probably be the number one thing. Catherine Keener. I think you could make a case for yes, because she's had, you know, at least a decade of being a really respected indie film actress peaking in eight millimeter, which, you know, <laughs> Chris. <laughs> You and me, Betty. <laughs> you and me. One for us. One for us. Eight millimeter. But uh, but then this, she's in a smash hit. I I think this is as good as it gets. She was in Capote this year too, so I think it's a good call. Oh, good one. She plays Harper Lee. Virgins. Apex <laughs> Mountain. Some would go Virgin Mary here. Last American Virgin. Oh, that movie's fucking great. When are we doing that one, Chris? Forty an- anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> should we do Virgin Week? Where you know we do Let's, Last yeah, we Temptation do, of Christ. We, we should yeah. do Virgin Week. Yeah, Last Temptation, maybe a, a Midnight Clear. You know, like just like a bunch. <laughs> I want to do Last American Virgin just so Craig has to watch it with Liz because I think Liz would actually probably move out, move out later that night. <laughs> Movie ends with James Ingram. I gave my best, but I guess my best wasn't good enough. Tears are streaming down his face because he had his heart broken. Uh, Six million dollar man action figures. Definitely Apex Mountain. Paul Rudd, no? No, but I feel like we haven't given him enough credit for being absolutely incredible in this movie. He's really funny as Brian Fantana in Anchorman, and that's when everyone realized he was going to be a great comic actor. But he at times carries this movie with and his like meltdown his slow evolution of like completely losing his shit in smart tech and like taking his clothes off and sh- filming himself and showing his ass like we forgot all that stuff he's so so i really want to highlight how much i love him in this movie his his like his bit at the poker table when when he's like we we were like two souls meeting <laughs> you know sometimes amy and i would make love it was almost like we weren't two people, but we were two spirits or something. Our our souls were connected in this way. I can't describe it. Time stood still. It was like we were sharing the same heart. Stop, man. Why do you always come and kill the vibe with those things? And then when Andy starts talking, the look he gives Andy is just amazing. I think you could make the case this was Apex Mountain for him. I think Ant-Man. I think Ant-Man. Yeah. Ant-Man. What, what year was Ant-Man? Like four or five years ago. 15, maybe? 14? Ant-Man is great. It was a huge hit. Fuck it. (laughs) Comic book movies. So mad. (laughs) What are you mad about? I just don't like comic book movies. This guy hates Munich and he hates Ant-Man movies. (laughs) I didn't hate Munich. I thought it was great. I think it's nice to nap during a movie. Romany Malco? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, has to be. Tech stores like Best yeah. Buy, those kind of stores. Is this the Apex Mountain for that era of those kind of stores? Yeah, I, that was one of my unanswerable questions. I, I, in addition to the fact that like these stores are not as important to our lives as they used to be, it, Smart Tech was really, really badly run. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, my god! Yeah, <laughs> but that was almost all these stores, right? Like in Boston, we had Tweeter, and. <laughs> Twitter was fucking terrible. And then yeah. eventually all went out of business. But Circuit City, those were terrible. They were always run by jackasses, which way. Also, <laughs> it's so funny. These guys in this movie are jackasses because that was my experience with every one of these stores ever. 
And Vince Vaughn's character owns one of these in old school as well. This yeah. is basically his job. Why is this a recurring theme in comedies in the 2000s? Because all these of us guys had the experience. All, yeah, and they all lived in the valley and would just be like, man, this must be like such a weird place to work. All of us have had the experience of just going into one of these stores and be like, hey, man, I need a 50-inch t- TV or whatever. And then some jackass comes over and is like, hey, man, can I? And you're just like, get away from me. You're, you're offering me no guidance at all. You're annoying me. I almost want to leave because you're so annoying. Uh, another Apex Mountain. Asia, the ironic version. Not a this wasn't Asia's Apex Mountain because they won, I think, four or five Grammys one year. But this was when they moved into Ironic Asia, which yeah. was 20 years later, where it's like heat of the moment. It's a good song, but you're also like 20% mocking it as you're listening to it. And yeah. I think they do a nice job with that. That's a good. I'm call. pretty I'm pretty psyched for my ironic phase, you know, when people are ironically appreciating what I'm able to accomplish. That's that hopefully I live that long. <laughs> we're in it. <laughs> So I, I hate to tell you, we're in it. <laughs> oh no, no. Um, I gotta say, next category is picking nits. I didn't really have any. This movie really ties up all the stuff that you know that we would potentially be like, ah, what the fuck? I mean, you could pick nits about why is this guy a virgin, but I think they did research on that when they were making the movie, and they, you know, the the theme they got over and over again was what they hit in this movie where you know, there were people out there that they had bad experiences, a couple things didn't go well and they just kind of gave up and they just assumed it was going to happen and they just built like their own little solo life and that was it. So if you're going to pick a nit of, oh, nobody's going to be a 40-year-old virgin who's like a handsome guy who has a decent job, like their research said that, you know, it was conceivable. I don't know. Do you guys have any nitpicks here? It's hard to have a nitpick in this movie. I mean, yeah. Fully and it's a comedy. Reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're skipping that. Could this be remade as a 10 episode Netflix show? Like, I, I actually think that's how it would have played out in 2020 for this uh, movie. I don't mm-hmm. think it's a movie. I, I would think- watch this smart tech show. Yeah. Like a really raunchy superstore kind of thing. Like, I would, wa- I would watch that. Yeah. Cause then you could go, like, you could dive into the Jane Lynch, find character. out more about Cal's novel. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably an answerable questions. I had, what does this movie look like in the 2020 incel era? Um, what does this movie look like in 2020 just with social media and the internet and somebody who's lonely like this guy is in this movie now, but now in 2020, you can just be on the internet all day, every day. You don't even have to see other human beings. Like, is that... Is that where it would have gone? Like I, I don't even know how they handle that. I think the important think? I think the important part of the title is the 40 part in this. Cause like his the reason why he's kind of like who he is is he's cocooned himself in this nostalgia stuff. So it's not like he's like, man, I can't wait to like log on log on to the internet and just kind of get on these early message boards and start talking about my feelings. Like he's he is like weirdly happy in his own way. He's just looking for connection. I think that would be probably Hard to replicate now, but it doesn't seem foreign. You know, it doesn't seem Shot. like a whole new, whole other world. I think he probably looks a little bit more like Mindhunter, you know. Just... <laughs> <laughs> um, my, my only other unanswerable question is I just feel like he's got more Star Wars stuff in that apartment, given the mm. age, the guys. Maybe a, that's a rights thing, maybe. Licensing, yeah. Yeah. He's born in 1965. 
So he's 12 when Star Wars comes out. That's when the star, that's when Star Wars really annihilated, you know, the the people, the kind of loners from age 11 to 15. And I just feel like he he would but have it's had like a whole shelf of Star Wars stuff. All the shirts Rogan wears are like universal music group artists. So it's like Jizza and Public Enemy. Like he yeah. they were able to clear all that stuff easily. Any other unanswerables? Was Andy's store, his his electronic store, a success? No. I, yeah, and I think, I think Andy Andy gets wiped out by the 08 housing crisis. Damn. <laughs> That's a good I sequel. Actually think, I actually think they break up because her eBay store goes under because those stores only had like a two-year shelf life. Mm-hmm. And the electronic store thing gets wiped out in 2008. So I'm not sure where it goes for them. Hard to believe we didn't get that sequel. Sounds really sunny and fun. It's basically them working in a diner. He's cooking omelets and she's a waitress. (laughs) Who won the movie? Carell. Apatow. Apatow, make the case. You know, even though he was considered a very widely respected comedy writer and producer before this, he was not considered a comedy auteur. And this is, this kicks off honestly, 10 years of him at the center of American movie comedy. And he he knights several stars from this moment on. And he also has, I mean, he has credibility, he has respectability. He was taken seriously by fans and critics in a way that a lot of comic directors are not. And he crafted a very individual and, and personal style that holds up. I mean, this movie, there are things about this movie that obviously we've talked about have not aged well, but the movie itself has aged really well. It's still really funny, really sweet. It has a great story and great star performances. So I, I think it's Judd. I agree with Sean because that, that I should have set this up at the top, but Apatow is this really talented guy. I think it was a high lottery pick, but it hadn't happened for him in a big way like this yet. You know, he's he took basically took over the Sanders show by the end of it, which was my favorite show of the 90s. Um Freaks and Geeks, famously, um, and now it now it's come full circle, and it's a this completely beloved show. But it was a show that got canceled, and and then he did Undeclared too, and that got canceled, and it was like he could never get over the hump with just a hit. And then not only did it, does it happen, it makes almost two hundred billion dollars, and he mints all of these different people, and then just becomes the epicenter of this whole comedy revolution. Which, I to be fair, started the year before with Anchorman, which he was involved with. But I think for, I think Sean's probably right because I think a lot of the Carell stuff probably would have happened anyway because The Office was going to become such a phenomenon. But for for Judd, like the this set up the next fifteen years of a lot of different things. So I, the only I think, thing I would say about the Carell and The Office thing is that. This movie becoming such a big hit, I wonder if it had, if it gave The Office a little bit more runway to find out what it wanted to be. Because if you remember the early Office, like Carell's character, the Michael Scott character is a little bit more, it's a little harder to get into him in that early, those early, that early season. But like the fact that he's basically a movie star doing TV, it's like he's going backwards. He's like doing, he's, he's, he's already a blockbuster star and he goes almost back to television, like the reverse Caruso. And is is then like, oh my god! I can't believe we get to watch Steve Carell every week mm. on The Office, even though he had been on Daily Daily Show and everything. So I, I think that just sets him up for the next ten years of what we get. 
10, 15 uh, years. Before we go, I thought Chris could tell a long story about losing his virginity. So go, Chris. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> so it was at a screening of Munich. And <laughs> <laughs> Eric Bana was just incredibly tender. No, oh, man. I'm not going to do that. We can't keep bringing up Munich. I'm going to fall asleep. Um, <laughs> before we go, producer Craig, we finally did one that you like. Congratulations. Thank you. It happened for you. Let's keep them rolling. Who do you have for who won the movie? I think Abbottown's probably the right call. Okay. 2020. Craig the brown noser. 2020 Andy has definitely got like his gaming chair is insane. He's doing Twitch. He's like all in on Call of Duty. He's got like all the neon lights. Yeah, he's doing all that. Hopefully that's not my son someday. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) All right. Sean, Chris, Craig, thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Bill. That's it for the rewatchables. Don't forget about the ultimate hoops ringer contest on FanDuel. Every day there are playoff games. And if you win your day, you get a ticket to the leaderboard series and you get to compete for a share of 50K cash and some other great stuff. Learn more. Enter at fanduel.com slash hoops ringer. Age and location restrictions apply. We are back with another rewatchables on Wednesday. I'm going to tell you what it is right now because it's the 25th anniversary. Another one. Dangerous. Minds. Oh, yeah. It's coming. It's coming. Get your Coolio on because it's happening. See you on Wednesday. Mm-hmm.